needing 170 people. You want to pull up your uh, order? Don't worry about zero. Don't worry about zero. So, what would you do with that district then? What would you do with the western portion of the state? Anything that's white hasn't been assigned. That's got your ideal in it. So, that's like the rest of the state. Yes, so far we've drawn one district, sort of. If you want to see what redrawing political lines in North Carolina looks like, as in actual real-time redistricting, you can, right now. It's on YouTube. Hundreds of hours of footage, live-streamed and archived from the public meeting rooms state lawmakers are using to create their maps, and from the computer terminals they're using to draw them. I'll warn you, though, Riveting television, this is not. You gotta hold it exactly. Most of them are gonna hire our group together. So you want to focus the on the Cal Park area? You create a photo yeah. yeah. in the products folder and you create run the report. It's a little technical, hard to know who's speaking. And it's not always clear what's driving decisions to construct districts, neighborhood by neighborhood, block by block. But for all its faults, this window into how the sausage is made is a radical departure from previous redistricting cycles, at least the ones that are supposed to come around only once every 10 years. The question on the minds of everyone watching, though, is whether all that transparency will matter. Will we actually get fair maps? And by what definition? This map drawing process, it'll take a few weeks, but it ain't over till it's over. And in North Carolina, it's almost never over. For the News and Observer, this is Monster, a podcast about maps, math, and power in North Carolina, a special series from Under the Dome. I'm Tyler Dukes. This week's episode, All Eyes on Raleigh. To say that redistricting in 2021 will look a lot different than map making in this country ever has is an understatement. Let's consider. The last time lawmakers set out on a wholesale redraw of election district maps, their plans were still subject to preclearance, a review, essentially, by the U.S. Department of Justice on the hunt for signs of voter disenfranchisement. That provision of the Voting Rights Act, the U.S. Supreme Court struck it down in 2013. No more preclearance. In 2004, the High Court left open a window, just a crack, about whether it might weigh in on the question of partisan gerrymandering. Justice Anthony Kennedy, in particular, hinted there may be a way the federal court could judge these maps and declare some of them unconstitutional. That window slammed shut in 2019 the result of two U.S. Supreme Court cases, one against Republicans in North Carolina and the other against Democrats in Maryland. Here's Chief Justice John Roberts delivering the opinion. In each case, unelected and unaccountable federal judges would be deciding whether Democrats or Republicans should have more or less political power in each affected state. Now, if the Constitution said that was our job, we would do the best we could, but it doesn't anywhere. The only place the Constitution even refers to the electoral process is in the Elections Clause, where, as I've explained, it assigns authority to make the rules to state legislatures subject to review by Congress. 
the framers recognized that these sorts of issues were for the political actors. But state courts have ruled on partisan gerrymandering, and may again, in North Carolina and elsewhere, meaning there's a limit to how far political maps can skew against one party or another, according to some state constitutions. North Carolina's constitution, for example, has language guaranteeing free elections. And it was that clause that led state judges here to overturn some of the same maps the Supreme Court declined to touch. That wording doesn't exist in the U.S. Constitution. Two different levels of court, two different sets of guidelines. There's one more thing that makes this year different. We're way behind schedule. The release of census data, you'll remember, is what triggers the redistricting process. But delays prompted by the COVID-19 pandemic and decisions by the Trump administration meant that new count didn't reach lawmakers until August, months later than normal. This has already delayed some local elections in North Carolina. Another complication with crafting new maps? The drawing has had to fit in with other legislative jobs, says state Democratic Representative Pricey Harrison. This is very unusual for us to be in session trying to map draw. Um, that makes it difficult. Uh, we still don't have a budget. Uh, and we're worried we got veto overrides, so we've got to make sure we're nearby. And uh, it's just, it's a very different time. It may take four weeks, it may take longer. We might not have maps until Thanksgiving. But for all the things that have changed, some have not. The legislature still has three sets of maps to draw. U.S. House, State House, State Senate. All of those maps need just a simple majority to pass, which Republicans have had since 2011. And Governor Roy Cooper, a Democrat, has no veto power. That means that Republicans, just like in 2011, are squarely in control, at least until things land in court. And that last bit, it's something mapmakers are very much trying to avoid. They're relying, largely, on rules they used in 2019, right after state courts overturned a set of previous maps for partisan gerrymandering. It's a set of 10 criteria, and some of those rules, like equal population and compactness, might sound familiar. Districts must also be connected. Counties can only be split under specific rules, and voting precincts divided only when necessary. Lawmakers can consider municipal lines, and as long as all other criteria jibe, they can use, and I'm quoting here, local knowledge of the character of communities. Sounds a little like communities of interest, right? That term that can mean anything from an ethnic neighborhood to a school district. But some guidelines are more controversial. The ban on racial data, for instance. Map drawers are walking something of a tightrope here. They're still required to comply with the Voting Rights Act, even though preclearance isn't a thing. That means they've got to provide minority groups the chance to vote for candidates of their choice under certain conditions. Remember the Jingles test from that North Carolina court case in the 80s? As a refresher, one of the elements of that test is racially polarized voting. If there's evidence that blocks of majority and minority voters are politically at odds, mapmakers need to take steps to elevate the influence of that racial minority group. Some Republican leaders, like Senator Paul Newton, say that doesn't exist here. We are going to comply with the Voting Rights Act, but recent legal opinions have told us there is no racially polarized voting in North Carolina. Those legal opinions North Carolina Republicans are pointing to 
They're from some of the same cases they lost after the last decade's redistricting cycle. Cases brought by lawyers like Allison Riggs at the Southern Coalition for Social Justice. You know, I've heard already in debates or uh, in committee meetings, legislators saying, well, we don't have racially polarized voting. That's what the racial gerrymandering cases said. And it's like, no, that's not what they said. You're, You're being purposely obtuse, I think. Racially polarized voting is technical. It's a legal standard. In 2011, Republicans commissioned a 24-page study that examined just this question. And it found that polarization did exist in at least 50 or half of all North Carolina counties. The courts did take issue with some of that work. But there is no study this time around. And without one, Riggs said it's impossible to know whether the shifting population of black voters or the rapidly growing number of Hispanic voters need new opportunity districts. Absent those districts, she says, any plan the legislature creates is unlikely to comply with the Voting Rights Act. Racially polarized voting patterns can change fairly rapidly. And I think we are seeing some pretty strong evidence that in the last five years, in parts of particularly rural and some suburban parts of the state, that we are are seeing an increase in racially polarized voting. Republicans like Newton, for their part, say they're worried using this data at all will subject them to lawsuits on the grounds of racial gerrymandering. They claim they avoided that data during redraws in the last half of the decade. So they're coming at VRA compliance from the other direction, and they're depending on outside groups for the analysis. We have invited our Democrat colleagues or any colleague who thinks they have evidence otherwise, once the map is drawn, that it somehow violates the Voting Rights Act, to bring that to our attention And we will do a back, you know, that's a backwards look, which is the only thing that makes sense, truthfully, um, a backward look at the map. Oh, we found racially polarized voting that needs to be mitigated. And if that comes forward, we'll mitigate it. There's one more ban the redistricting committees put in place. One designed to take the partisan out of partisan map making. But it probably won't surprise you to learn that taking politics out of gerrymandering, it can get a little complicated. More on that, coming up. To understand the politics of redistricting, not the mechanics of map drawing or how to sort out what is and isn't a gerrymander, we need to underscore a bit of history, both recent and a little less so. For 100 years, Democrats controlled this process in North Carolina, decade after decade, and they shut out Republicans from exercising any real influence. Senate leader Phil Berger, a Republican, remembers. He first took office in 2001, right before a decennial redraw. At the time, he was a member of the minority party. I had no say whatsoever. That, that, was, that was my perception of what was going on, and that was the cold reality, because uh, the district, the initial district that was drawn that included Rockingham County, which is where I resided and continue to reside. I, I never saw a, a proposal of uh, what was going to happen, never saw uh, alternative ideas or anything uh, until the map came out. But in the 2010 midterms, Republican candidates in the North Carolina General Assembly rode a red wave, powered in part by a national big-money effort to put the GOP in control of state legislatures all around the country, just in time for redistricting. It worked. 
and in 2011, Republicans wasted little time returning the favor. We know what happened next in the decade that followed. A federal court rules the 2011 redistricting of two North Carolina congressional districts was well, unconstitutional. Racially gerrymandered a and unconstitutional as such. Was the main and while the districts are extreme being partisan gerrymandering. Today, but due to the proximity of the November elections, the districts will stand for now. The, the ruling states that the gerrymandered state legislature. The observer writing the a panel of judges struck down the maps Tuesday in a 300- It started with racial gerrymandering cases then evolved into fights over partisan gerrymandering. And as proof of this political skullduggery, lawyers suing the state over these maps pointed to statements from Representative David Lewis in committee and on the House floor in 2016 that laid the GOP strategy bare. I propose that we draw the maps to give a partisan advantage to 10 Republicans and three Democrats because I do not believe it's possible to draw a map with 11 Republicans. Republicans and two Democrats. This is now looked back on as some sort of outrageous statement of, of political abuse, and you could certainly interpret it that way. But at the time, it was a legal strategy uh, where he was coached to say that because at the time, the, the understanding was that race-conscious gerrymandering might be illegal, kind of depending upon the situation, but that partisan gerrymandering would not be. That's John Hood, chair of the conservative John Locke Foundation. He says Republicans back then thought that explicit acknowledgement of partisanship was a legal safe harbor. But after state court cases in 2019, that safe harbor no longer exists. Republicans complained that the rules of the game changed under their feet. And in press conferences and floor statements and interviews, they hearkened back to a century of partisan disenfranchisement. Their disenfranchisement even after the U.S. Supreme Court itself, despite declining to act, concluded the North Carolina GOP's 2016 maps were, quote, highly partisan by any measure. Look at the 100 years before that and the Democrats' map. Go back and reevaluate the Democrats' map, and I promise you, as sure as I'm sitting here, they will skew even more extremely than what the Republicans drew in 2016. Their solution as they draw new maps this fall a new potential safe harbor, an outright ban on the use of election data. Mapmakers employed a similar ban when they redrew the lines in 2019. To many observers, those maps were more fair, and we had the partisan prohibition to thank. Here's Minority Leader Robert Reeves, one of the Democrats on the House Redistricting Committee. The only reason that election data is serves a purpose is if a legislator wants to make sure that he or she protects themselves in the best way possible to maintain their seat. And that's not what it should be about. This year in particular, Republicans say they didn't hire highly paid consultants who in the past constructed meticulously engineered maps out of sight of the public. We're going to draw it in public. We don't, not even, we don't even have an expert on, you know, retainer, uh, a map drawing expert. I think the math, the Precedents and the math are largely going to draw these maps. Senator Paul Newton, a Republican who co-chairs the redistricting committee in his chamber, says GOP leadership is committed to creating fair and legal maps and doing it transparently. But there's criticism of this data-blind approach. The big one being that politicians know politics. It's all there, that knowledge, in the neighborhoods where they campaign, in the district maps on their walls, like the one posted up in Representative Pricey Harrison's office, 
you got to know that when you're in there looking at the at the maps, you've got to know like which precincts. There's my map up there. You got you know which precincts are heavily Democratic or more rural and maybe perhaps a bit more Republican. So it, it is sort of a false, uh, you know, premise that you're not going to be considering any partisan data. Close watchers of the process in 2019 were also concerned lawmakers were slinking off to side rooms to weigh the partisan outcomes of changes made in public. That concern persists in 2021. Because the ban on using partisan data isn't statutory. It's a rule the legislature established for itself. And although Democratic Representative Robert Reeves said members can always bring complaints to the committee chair, there's no spelled out repercussion for violations. Ultimately, you're on an honor system. And you got to hope that people are going to try to ignore that data and and, and and try to just use the things that they're supposed to be using in order to make those maps. There's one more criteria on the legislature's list this year. Incumbency. Mapmakers are allowed to consider where current legislative members live as they draw the lines. Ostensibly, this is an effort to monitor for what's called double bunking, placing two incumbent lawmakers in the same district, essentially forcing them to run against each other for a seat. The inclusion of that measure concerns political observers like John Hood much more than any potential backroom dealings. I think that the fact that Democrats and Republicans seem to be happy with incumbency protection should outrage everybody else. These districts are not drawn to benefit incumbents. They're drawn to benefit voters. These map drawing sessions, they need to be closely watched. And they're sure to be by watchdogs and citizens and other groups looking for signs that something's just not right. And I think that how the Republicans run their uh, public redistricting meetings is very important to their subsequent legal defense. And if they do anything that looks uh, suspicious, they better have a good reason or it's going to become evidence in a court case. If neither party has much confidence in the other to draw maps, the public might have even less. And that's got a lot of voters wondering here and nationally, if there's a better way. More on that after a break. As the court searches for a solution to end gerrymandering, voters all over the country are increasingly outraged by the practice, and they're doing something so about it. Increasingly, they're turning to ballot measures to change the way uh, districts are drawn, whether it's at the redistricting uh, matters on the ballot. In Colorado and in Michigan and in Utah, they were all voting on whether or not, basically, the state should be ungerrymandered. Colorado, voters Michigan, supported Proposal and- 2. It allows an independent redistricting commission to draw voter maps, not politicians or lobbyists. Now, if you're concerned about the polarization of American politics, voters in Michigan, Colorado, and Missouri approved nonpartisan independent redistricting commissions, which will effectively end the rigged system of redistricting. 2018 was, by any measure, a great year for redistricting reformers. The midterms brought successful citizen ballot referenda in Colorado, Michigan, Missouri, and Utah. The mechanisms for reform were different in each state, but it was the voters, not state lawmakers, who reined in gerrymandering by politicians. Things don't quite work like that in North Carolina. We're one of several Southern states that through laws dating back to the early 1900s, 
prevent voters from starting their own petitions to get referenda on the ballot. That means any changes to the redistricting process need approval from state lawmakers, the same folks who draw the maps in the first place. That may make reform sound unlikely. But we got pretty close in early 2020, months before a hotly contested general election. State Representative Robert Reeves, a Democrat, partnered with a Republican colleague to sponsor about a half dozen bills with ideas for reform. Everything from redistricting commissions to constitutional amendments that would put nonpartisan staff in an advisory group in charge of map making. I think what we began to discuss is what type of legislation we felt we could get through both caucuses. And that, that was going to be the big point, because obviously the two caucuses had completely different views about what that process ought to look like. Then 2020 went, well, full 2020. National groups criticized some of these proposals, souring the well somewhat. That included the National Democratic Redistricting Committee, headed by former Obama Attorney General Eric Holder. State Representative David Lewis, for years the master of the Republicans' map-drawing efforts, was embroiled in a financial scandal that prompted lawsuits, a conviction on federal charges, and eventually his resignation. Then there was COVID-19, which in addition to redirecting lawmakers to major issues of economic relief and other measures, made all their work remote. That was disappointing to politicos like John Hood, who acknowledges that without face-to-face negotiation, it's a lot harder to overcome distrust between parties. So some of the negotiation process that would have led to supermajorities to pass the bill I liked, which would have required uh, three-fifths of the legislature to vote for it as a constitutional amendment, just became impossible to work those things out because COVID kind of shut the conversation down. Even though redistricting reform won't happen before the maps are drawn in the 2021 cycle, he said there's no reason to wait another 10 years for reform especially given the very likely scenario that maps drawn in 2021 will be embroiled in many more years of legal quagmires with uncertain outcomes. You ought to, right now, take out an insurance policy against a catastrophic loss and move redistricting reform uh, and put it in the Constitution. So if in 2025 or 2024, the U.S. or the state Supreme Court strikes your map down and orders you to redraw, There will now be standards so that, for example, if it's 2025 and the maps are struck down and the Democrats are now in charge of the legislature, they won't gerrymander you the way you did to them, the way they did to you going back into the mists of time. To be clear, there is not anywhere close to unanimous agreement on what reform here should look like. Republicans have been skeptical of independent redistricting committees. So have folks who battled Republicans in court, like Allison Riggs. Anyone who purports to have a quick and easy remedy for this is probably either um, pulling your leg or is naive. Like, I don't I don't think um, independent redistricting commissions, they may create a different structure and may, my general sense is it's trading one set of problems for another. Senate leader Phil Berger supported redistricting reform efforts when he was in the minority, specifically the idea of a commission. But those views, he said, have changed. What has become clear to me uh, and clearer by the day uh, is that drawing maps uh, for representation purposes is at its core a political process. And 
it is infused with politics. To think that you're going to eliminate uh, political uh, politics by putting it in the hands of somebody else, you're just fooling yourself. So for now, Republicans are in charge. They'll decide whether they use the opportunity to do map making fairly this time. They've said they plan to. That means using a set of redistricting criteria that's more or less neutral, compactness, equal population, etc. It means explaining and debating why some communities need to be split and why others are kept whole. We'll still have to sort out what is and isn't gerrymandering, recognize that we won't see proportional representation because of all that North Carolina-specific geography, political sorting, and polarization. But we have better tools than ever to judge. With math that can build out thousands of maps that tell us what's normal and how close proposed maps match that baseline. If Republicans fail to live up to their promises, there could be consequences, not just legal ones that land their maps in court, but real political fallout. There is a danger, in my view, that politicians of both parties recognize that the level of anti-incumbency feeling will grow to such an extent that some of those members may lose primaries. They won't lose them directly over redistricting. I don't think that most voters vote on redistricting itself. But it's part of a broader sense of disgust. Because here's the thing. People care about redistricting, even though it's wonky, even though it's complicated. Redistricting affects every single issue that you care about that the government touches. And with that being the case, it is the single most important issue in my mind in making sure that we choose a good representative government. Hundreds of North Carolina residents, when it was all said and done, spoke at the redistricting hearings held across this large state throughout September 2021. Republicans and Democrats, young and old, before maps were even drawn, Many, many more submitted public comments. They want different things. Different communities kept together or different criteria such as compactness prioritized over others. But Reeves, who attended many of those meetings, said they had at least one thing in common. Nobody got up there and said, you know, if you're the party in charge, we want you to draw maps, make sure that we stay in charge as a party for the rest of the decade. Nobody said that. Lamicia Whittington, is with the North Carolina Black Alliance. She organized virtual information sessions this year for black and brown communities detailing the map-making process. And every session had 100 people minimum, all ages from all across the state. There's no understanding the impact of gerrymanders without the impact it. They're the case studies, which means we have to respect them and the human qualities that they bring. We can't just see them as data. And so then what can we do? What can the people do? We have to hold both parties accountable. The public is watching. And we'll all have to wait to find out what happens next. Monster is reported and written by me, Tyler Dukes, for the News and Observer. It's produced and edited by Clifton Dowell, with editing and production help from Kathy Clavy, Jordan Schrader, and Davin Coburn. Our theme, composed by Chad Crouch of the Sound of Picture Production Library. 
A special thanks to the more than a dozen people who took their time to speak with us over the past several weeks and walk us through so many aspects of redistricting, from the history to the mechanics to on-the-ground impacts to the math. That includes Phil Berger, Bill Bishop, Michael Bitzer, Wendy Tam Cho, Blake Esselstyn, Nate Fisher, Ruth Greenwood, Pricey Harrison, Coast KMI, Irving Joyner, Michael Lee, Jonathan Mattingly, Paul Newton, Allison Riggs, Leika Shupek, Rebecca Tippett, Robert Reeves, and Lamicia Whittington, and our very own Lucille Sherman and Will Doran. We're also indebted to the Duke Law Library for helping us comb through the meticulously curated archives of Professor Robinson O. Everett and to the Internet Archive's TV News Library, a service that allows anyone to search for video clips, dozens of which you heard in these episodes. Thanks also to the Harry S. Truman Presidential Library and Museum and the OYA.org Law Project. Other audio was shared with permission from author Richard Rhodes. Special thanks also to Justin Mitchell, Nicole Savetnik, Holly Brayford, Stephanie Bunau, and Paolo Perez with McClatchy for their tireless and quick work to help promote this show. Subscribe to the series and catch up on related redistricting content from the NNO team at newsobserver.com monster. And I cannot stress this enough, this News and Observer political team is the best in the business. Follow their coverage to learn more about how these issues impact you. To continue supporting this kind of local in-depth journalism, visit newsobserver.com slash subscribe and consider a digital subscription. Thanks for listening.